0: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This is a show about why people do the things they do. Now it isn't quite obvious to anybody why they do the things that they do. Uh, It's not obvious to me, it's not obvious to you. We can come up with rationalizations about why we do the things we do. um, But it's not at all obvious what the answer to that question is. But I do believe that through conversation, Uh, usually one-on-one conversation, we can come to a mutual realization of a higher truth rather than the truth that our mind tells us is the truth. So this show is about this dialogue, a very, very ancient practice that's been going on for a very, very long time of coming together with another agent, another person who has this awareness. And coming to the truth through mutual inquiry. inquiry. There's a lot of different themes that I talk about in this show, but the show doesn't have a theme. There is no specific thing that we're getting to with this show. Uh, we're discovering the truth in process. And you as a listener can also play in this discovery, in this mutual discovery, because uh, I don't think it's only in this one on one conversation we have, but it's also a global collective conversation as long as we have this intention to aim towards the truth. So if you do want to join this conversation, I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. Uh, and you can just tweet out to me questions, you can tweet out to me things you don't like, things you do like about this episode. You can also send me DMs, my DMs are open. Uh, and just join the conversation. I'm constantly asking questions on Twitter, so you can answer any of those questions as well. Uh, and if you do like this show, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other major podcasting platforms, uh, and go ahead and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, go ahead and leave a review as well. So come join us on this discovery for truth, uh, and it's fun. We we can get to the to the to the really juicy parts of life uh, as long as we don't have an agenda. Uh, and well, except for the agenda to find the truth. Uh, so welcome on this discovery of truth and come join the process. Welcome to the crazy wisdom podcast. My guest today is Matthew Belair. Uh, he's the best selling author of a Zen athlete, and he's also got a podcast called mastermind body and spirit. Uh, so welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate the invite.
0: Sure. So what is the relationship between the mind, body, and the spirit?
1: That's a really great first question. Well, they're all different, but they're kind of all the same. It's an interesting thing. Uh, Last year, I grew up a martial artist, and so when you do martial arts, that's kind of the the discipline, right? Mind, body, spirit. So let's say you punch something hard, like a tree. I trained with Shaolin monks in China, and they would would actually tap the trees with their body. And so the mind is going to then tell you, to stop doing that because that's stupid and you're hurting the body. So you notice a distinction there. And I think the spirit is that like the inner voice, but that's what grows when you're able to persevere over what the body wants in, in that sort of way. So I don't know if that's a good explanation, but um, also doing cold training last year everybody's doing like the Wim Hof kick. So I decided that when I was going to do that, I wanted to do it in the hardest possible way. And last year I was in Nelson, British Columbia, and I started going out in a glacier lake and doing it. And again, that's where you notice those distinctions of mind, body, and spirit. Because when I got out in the cold, minus 15 with the wind blowing and a glacier water with snow and ice everywhere, my body is telling me to get out and my mind is screaming at me to leave. Um, But like that voice and that, my mind, I'm like, okay, calm down. We're going to stay here for a bit. It's going to be okay. Calm down the body. And it's a very, let's say, spiritual thing in the sense that you're very forced into the moment. And when you do that, it grows the spirit. It grows what you're capable of it. It makes you understand that inner voice, but that like inner essence that you're more than you may may think you are at times. So I don't know if that's convoluted or clear, but that's what I got for you right now.
0: Yeah, that's great. And it's, uh, I heard it once described as The mind is the most subtle form of the body, and the body is the most gross form of the mind. So they're actually on one spectrum, basically.
1: Hmm. I like that. And I also like Dr. Joe Dispenza's definition where he talks about addiction is when the body becomes the mind. And you know you might not want to do it, but the body is doing all these things. Like, oh, I shouldn't eat that cake, or I shouldn't smoke the cigarette, I shouldn't drink the beer. But the body goes ahead and does it. And he talks about addiction when it's when the body becomes the mind. So I also find that analogy fascinating and, and also accurate.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Why do you think it is? And uh, if you're not an expert in this, don't you don't have to feel it. Why do you think it is that so many people are looking to fill this abyss with all these things, like whether it's Uh, Drugs actual like drugs dependencies or other things like um, You know Facebook dependency or TV or whatever
1: When you say abyss, can you define that a little further?
0: Sure like it's that well So when I feel myself reaching out for something uh, To kind of self-medicate not necessarily with drugs that often but with like TV or something else It's usually like I'm running away from this feeling of emptiness um, and it So that's what I mean by this abyss where it's like this just total sense of like lack and like I want to cover up this feeling um, and the mind seems to like reach out towards other things to fill it up. That's what how I view it. I'm not sure it's hard to say what other people experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got a sense of what you're saying. And I think that that's the common way people are experiencing life these days. Most people I feel like are going around in their mind and their body is anxious, or they're depressed, or they're worried, or they're afraid. And this comes from cultural conditioning, it becomes it comes from, uh, you know, what we see on television, it comes from schools, it comes from all this Crazy world that we're living in, and and if you're lucky enough to have really great parents to give you an environment and a life and an education that teaches you very strong uh, personal development, spirituality, uh, ethical principles, you might not have that. And I know a few people like that, but it's really rare because our society is really frigged up. I spent a lot of time researching why we had war. It, it made me very curious. I spent a lot of time looking up personal development. How can I be? Let's uh, you know. How can I improve my quality of life? What is the limits of consciousness? Um, can I astral project? Can I break this stone with my hand? You know, all these things the martial arts were doing and looking at the, the limits of what was possible. And in doing that, I discovered hypnosis and manipulation and that's what's happening today. So, so many people feel this way because they're disconnected and they're not living a life that they're designing on purpose. They feel disempowered. They feel like something is wrong and they don't know how to fix it. And they don't know how to help themselves with those emotional wounds and those um, beliefs that might not be serving them that were given to them through society or through culture or even through their parents that maybe sometimes have the best intentions, um, but not great in execution. So when we're able to find out who we really are, let go of those false limiting beliefs and pursue things that are meaningful with powerful and perspectives with also universal knowledge in the sense of the like what are some fundamental principles of, of continued practice things like non-judgment right judging yourself uh, being kind to yourself things like this comparison and, and zen principles show those as well so when you have a little bit of an understanding of those perspectives and how your mind is actually working you're going to get a little bit of freedom and i know you do breath work you shared it a little bit before and so Most people don't know how to quiet their mind. I wrote a book called Zen Athlete, and the idea is to Trojan horse self-mastery into education because they won't know what it really is. But when I break it down to the absolute basics, when you teach a kid how to throw a basketball shot, uh, teach them uh, to take three deep breaths first and clear their mind. Somebody who's able to clear their mind and someone who cannot, that's a fundamental shift in the quality of your consciousness. If you don't know how to clear your mind and someone can, it's, it's a huge, huge upgrade. The second thing is to visualize the shot going in that teaches you that you influence your reality. The third part is that the shot misses. So what's the most powerful and positive perspective you can have. And so You don't always get the reality you want, but your power comes from how you respond to what happens. And so those are three huge perspective shifts and fundamental understanding of how reality works. And when you are closer to that truth of how things are and what your capabilities are and who you are, you're going to feel a lot more empowered and the more disconnected you feel from all these different various uh, happenings within yourself and in the world, it's going to be more challenging and you're going to look for ways to escape and and do things that might not be of your highest good.
0: Were you able to figure out how to astroproject? project?
1: I think this is my definition because uh, I've, I've actually had William Buhlman on and he did a master course on Astro projection. I'm not like the way that I hear people say it. I don't know if I'm experiencing the same thing or not because it's very subjective, but when I was doing it consistently and really focusing on it, I was able to go into this mental realm and have these experiences, but the way other people experience it, it's like they're walking in there with their consciousness. So I can't tell if it's the same thing. What I can say for sure is that I was able to lucid dream very easily. And that experience was more powerful than the, um, projection. And that being said, one time on a pier when I left home, and that's when I had my first really, let's say, astral projection, or uh, I don't know what people call them, just a really crazy out-of-body experience. And and I was meditating on a pier, kind of doing that practice, and so I was able to do it at that time, and it was. But at that state, it's it's like beyond mind. Right. It's beyond space. It's beyond time. It's something else. And I don't know if i define that as astral projection either, but it does have similarities from what I've read and the practices I've tried. And I've tried most if, if it's written out there and it's a it's a technique, i probably tried it really hard to see what my experience was. And for me, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between lucid dreaming, meditation, any form of active meditation which might be guided or intended. And, and astral projection is kind of an intended personal experience.
0: Hmm. So what is the role of like technique in personal development? Is there a limit to technique?
1: I think if I'm understanding the way that you're sharing the question, I think that technique is important, but I feel also that there's intention and that that will trump technique, uh, intention and action and so bruce lee was a really great he's one of my mentors that i studied and really enjoyed and his process was you know take what works for you and reject what doesn't so at his time in martial arts it was just one martial art this is how you do it or you pick another martial art but he combined many and so there were many techniques but his intention was to be the greatest martial artist that he could be for himself and so he learned all the way around so if we have an intention that inspires us we're going to find the techniques because what I'm observing now is the growth in biohacking and all that kind of stuff. And on one hand, some of that is good because I learned a technique and that's very helpful, but you know, what is much more important is trying is executing is process is intention. No one's going to biohack their way to a championship. No one's going to biohack their way to their quote unquote best self being successful or creating their dreams. It's not going to get biohacked. It's going to happen over a duration of time and process. And that is much more important. So I think that the intention, you'll find the right strategies. And one strategy that, that might work for someone might not work for you. So you trust that you're going to find the right things. And in Zen, I love what they talk about and say they talk about like the lessons um, in Zen. And they said, there's not there's not that many. It's not like infinite lessons. It's like a few lessons with so many perspectives that you go infinitely deep with. And we just need to continue to practice. I've heard about non-judgment and surrender as reading books on Zen in my early teens. I still have to do that. I still get mad at nothing sometimes. And so, uh, you know, it's just a continual practice and understanding of those universal principles.
0: And then what is the role of like questioning or the importance of questions? Cause you mentioned intention. And for me, when I am in the space of figuring out what's going on there's the question and then there's the actual intention behind actually getting the answer for the question and if i ask the question without that intention piece then usually my mind kind of goes off and does something else or gets gets distracted but if i kind of sit with the question for a while with that intention to actually discover it something happens so what is this role of questioning for you in your in your practice
1: that's a great analogy and thought experiment one a a few things come up when you share that one of them is the idea that some things we're not going to know And that old quote is like the, I can't remember how it goes exactly, but it's something like the more, you know, the less, you know, you know, the more that you learn, the less, you know, it just kind of, it fractals out of like, holy smokes, there's so much to know. We know so little of what is actually happening here, just this tiny, tiny fragment. And so those big universal questions that people are asking. I don't think we're ever going to get to the answer to those experiences. I've had several in my life where they're really, you know, it goes beyond space and time. People call them different things, but what it showed me is like a different consciousness in a way that I would have no understanding. It would be like, a rat all of a sudden became human and then you had to communicate with the rat in English, but it would be even a bigger gap. It's like, there's no way that, you know, you just wrap that human consciousness into a rat's mind and it would, it wouldn't be able to understand anything or communicate it to his other rat friends. And I would, I would liken the gap to bigger than that. And so what that taught me and what that that makes me know is like we're engaged in a mystery. So I'm not going to have all the answers. It's more like a direction and a trust. I think that our logical minds and what we're really trying to do here is know things. We need to know the right step. We need to know our purpose. We need to know how this works. And a lot of it is actually faith, but we have this impulse to grow. You know, you look at, I'm a new father and, you know, she's only three months and and learning so much. And, you know, does she become whole complete and know something at maybe four months or when she starts walking? Or is it in grade five when she has English and math comprehension? Is it in high school when she can write papers? Is it when she gets a master's in university, then she knows something on one tiny subject of the infinite subjects that she could take, but knows nothing about, you know, maybe what's going on in China or, or some sort of ancient practice there or certain or computers or whatever the case is. Right. So when we're just going to continue evolving, we're going to continue growing and experiencing. And so when we can kind of direct it towards what we're passionate about. Right. And so I think the other part of the question is the quality of questions that we ask ourselves. I think many people are living their lives by default. It's the safe way. We don't want to bump up the edges. We want to put insurance on top of insurance. We want to have a fluffy jacket on top of a fluffy jacket inside of a warm home and excited like extra food rather than really answering and honoring that impulse within ourselves of who are we? Those are the big questions. Who am I? You know, what is my purpose? What am I doing here? What inspires me? How can I contribute? Those are big questions and they don't have finite answers, but they do have direction.
0: Yeah. Particularly with those questions, when you ask yourselves those questions, I've been working with the question, who am I for, for a long time. And it's still always fresh when I ask it. It's always like, there's never a verbal answer that be like, that is the answer to that question. I have found it. That's exactly who I am. The, the, it? like if you consistently ask yourself that question and this is what Ramana Maharshi would, would, why it was such a foundational practice for him was that, um, it, if you really ask that question with a genuine cu- curiosity, no verbal answer will ever fully encompass everything that you are. So you can't stop at the verbal answer, but there is this sense of I-ness that exists. Um, that can lead you to somewhere but i've been asking myself this question for maybe three or four years now um and it's a very very powerful question what what happens when you ask yourself that question
1: I, I agree with the same thing. of like to wrap up who I am in, in words. It's Alan Watts uses the example of, it's like a knife trying to cut itself. There's some things that don't have a definite answer. When people try to answer that, it's usually from the ego or identity of a task, right? I could say, you know, a bunch of years ago that I am a snowboarder. I'm a snowboard coach. I could say now I am a podcast host, but is that who I am? It doesn't encompass it at all. It's some things that I do. And you can look at it deeper because you have thoughts. Are you your thoughts? Probably not. Um, but you are sometimes your actions. You are sometimes your habits, your your passions, your your emotional body and your emotions. Um, your your preferences. You're all of these things. And it's learning to identify the things in you that are actually you and the things that are are scaring you right and that's usually the ego trying to keep you safe oh i don't want to do this because i'm afraid or i'll get ridiculed or whatever the case is and so it's like the identity the ego is is a good thing i think that people out there really give the ego a hard time it's just a misuse of the ego it's when the ego goes too far because i prefer to snowboard if i get a chance to snowboard in the mountains that's my ego and my identity who i am the choices i like they want to do that over knitting there's nothing wrong with that. If you prefer knitting, go knitting. It's just a different thing. So I need to be me to understand that, but I need to also take the actions to honor it. And then with that same idea, you can grow into some way of like serving the community by mastering who you actually are and not trying to fit into a mold of what some sort of external force would want you to do so that you fit an an idea and identity and that's when you kind of like start to play small you start to get sad things aren't working out because it, I use the analogy of going into a forest and a duck is trying to be a beaver and a beaver is trying to be a squirrel everyone's going to be miserable but when they figure out what they want to do and who they are the whole entire ecosystem benefits from them doing that and they also say hey you know what that that beaver looks a lot more natural being a beaver than he did you know trying to be a squirrel he made a terrible squirrel but he's an excellent beaver and it's kind of a little bit of analogy i hope that kind of answered your question
0: uh yeah definitely and the ego thing i want to go back to the ego thing it's really interesting i'm not i'm not a qualified to say what the ego is in terms of the western psychology although i want to research more about it uh in, but I did learn about the yogic philosophy or yogic psychology behind their conception of the ego. And they, they use a word called ahamkara. And ahamkara means the eye maker. So it, it creates this identity, this eye, but only in relationship to an object. So like when, you know, if we get in a fight with someone and we get triggered, that creates this eye inside of me. Which, but it's only reflected in relationship to this anger that I have towards somebody else. So it creates this I, the anger, and then the someone else. Um, but then if we ask ourselves, who am I? That question in that moment, we won't get that anger. It, it's like deeper than that. But in those times, that ego maker, the I maker, essentially puts a veil up to who we really are. Um, I don't really have a question, but if any of that,
1: yeah, well, I really like that analogy, and I'm glad you shared it because I had never heard that before. And I am I hear a lot of these concepts. I study a lot of Zen. I like really Zen philosophy, and I do like yogic philosophy. So whenever I hear those analogies, it kind of deepens – the understanding because a lot of these great teachers and these great teachings are saying the same thing in a little bit of a different way. And then it's up to us to embody that. And as you were talking there, I was thinking about, it, I was like, okay, um, the Western world really tries to identify things. Right. And so I looked up the Carl Jung because I like his word and it, like his work. And he said, according to Young, the ego represents the conscious mind as it comprises the thoughts, memories, and emotions a person is aware of. The ego is largely responsible for feeling of identity and continuity. And so it's a very interesting thing. And I also think that the ego is okay as well, because the ego is what keeps us safe, right? Like it keeps us aware of crossing the street and, and dangers. The thing is, A lot of the time we go too far. We identify with we need to be successful. We identify with we need to get these things because that makes me who I am. I I am my job. I am this thing. And so we start to distort reality and we do really frigged up actions to continue that identity, then rather than being actually who we are. And I think who we are is is something that is beyond words. Um, but I think that we're when we're just authentically ourselves, um, we're just gonna be expressing different preferences and different experiences. At different times, because we're always going to be evolving. The thing that you might prefer to do today and who you want to be today is going to be totally different than in three years. What they say your cells, I think it's like every seven days or seven years you become a whole new person. Those are very different time frames, but it's something like that. Seven, <laughs> years. Seven, years. seven days? Seven years. Seven years. Okay, that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like, that's, but still, it's, it's pretty amazing. And we do that. I think you can really get in touch with that with just understanding like what you prefer what your passions are where do you want to show up how do you want to live and what do you want to experience Hmm.
0: and what about your life right now are you most excited about
1: got a little baby super cute uh yeah so i would i would say i would say the baby is, is super exciting it was you know fatherhood was something i wanted to make farther away and now that i'm in it i'm really excited about it i've done so much traveling right i've wanted to travel and do all these things that explore the world and find the go to egypt and figure out what's going on right and now that i've got this little one and i get to pass on the knowledge and just so grateful for little things you know mm-hmm. just it's it's a different thing all together. So I have my world of things that I'd like to contribute to, I would like to help with, I, you know, I, I want to share. But then I've got this other world that I get to that's almost more important. You know, it's like it's equal. So I can do my world, but it's like how do I help this person build their world and, and be the best person that they can be? And it just it feels really good to have that kind of idea in that person. And it's a very new experience.
0: And what are the kind of Have you noticed any kind of deep evolutionary processes that have started once you've had a child that you're now aware of, like at an experiential level?
1: That's a great question. I hear a lot of people talking about how the baby changes their life and all these kind of things. I think for me, it just made me a lot more grounded. And the experiential thing is going to be like, okay, here we go. Now I have to take everything that I think that I know and really reanalyze everything to ensure that what I'm sharing, if I want to offer a teaching or a perspective, is is going to be beneficial. And just rechecking all of that stuff. Does this make sense? Um, is this going to be beneficial? And also at the same time, I'm going to have to learn, and, and other parents would know this better than me because my daughter's only three months, how do I do that in allowing them to be fully who they want with that balance of what I've learned through martial arts and dedication and hard work and all of those things. Where's the, where's the boundary? Where's that thing of, you know, teaching them how to create what they want in life, embodying these teachings, doing some things that might be challenging, but also allowing them to be their own person and give them the characteristics and the tools to build their own life, to stand on their own feet. So it's uh, it's a new thing. And, and what it allows me to do is also be a lot more present because again, if everything that I've, Learned, you know, reading thousands of books, having hundreds of podcasts, traveling to countries, learning from all these different people. I'm still not sure. Those are, you know, I have ideas, I have philosophies, I have results in certain things, but really everybody has their own experience. And so I don't think one experience is the right thing for everybody. It's trying to find those universal principles that you can pass off that will actually empower a person's experience. And I think that that's what you're doing with your show. And that's the hope with my show is to get these teachers that have lessons and have tools that a person can hear and and can apply and can improve their life and can give them a little bit more happiness maybe a bit more contentment maybe a bit more inspiration maybe a bit more connection to spirit maybe a bit more health uh, maybe a bit more community whatever they may need
0: and then uh so it seems like you're into a lot of physicality as well are you studying anything in terms of human development because now you've got this this baby in front of you who's learning how to move and it feels like that would be a good learning opportunity to see how how it is that these bodies get started and like what are the foundations for the body
1: do you mean like physical uh baby develop development of their bodies
0: yeah like like there's you know there's stages that the baby will go through essentially to to uh, you know, eventually learn how to crawl. Well, and then, so when a baby first starts out, they start out, I believe on their belly. And then the, one of the big things is they roll onto their back. I might've gotten that reversed and then first. Yeah. So it's, so it's on their back Back. and then rolling onto their belly. Yeah.
1: So she just did that the other day. It was pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. And then, yeah, go for it.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I get the question. Um, as far as the baby, I'm not so sure. I, I looked at, a, I understand the mind, I guess from zero to seven, everything goes in. Everything they see, everything they hear, it all goes in. They don't have what, to, what what's referred to in hypnosis as the critical factor. Mm-hmm. So I could say, Hey, Stuart, you're the uh, best, cyclist on the planet you've never never cycled before so the critical factor of your identity goes bro i've never cycled before i'm definitely not the best cyclist in the planet can't imagine it you say that to a seven-year-old they're actually going to take that and it's going to get stored into the unconscious mind so you want to be make make sure that whatever goes in there is positive it's empowering and as far as physical development i'm always learning something. I'm always reading a book. I'm always doing a course. I'm always doing something. So right now I'm, I'm still practicing martial arts. I skateboarded all summer. Uh, I'll probably move, be moving into gymnastics this winter and more martial arts. Ideally, I'd like to snowboard, but I'm not out West this year. So I might only go a few times. And with the daughter, what I've thought about and what I hope to share is when I teach her, I want her to master one physical thing. And I think humans should do this. Do one activity that's helping you to understand and express your body. This could be dance. This could be skateboarding. This could be martial arts. This could be running. This could be cycling. This could be anything to have you just have an awareness and an understanding of how your body works. It could be any sport in the world. It could be yoga. The second thing that I want her to experience life through a lens of is music. This is something that didn't really come naturally to me or was offered to me and something that I'm I'm moving into a little bit as I get older and I would like to express more. Any form of art, music, art, Uh, Any instrument, anything musical, I think is very important to express. Maybe piano. It's complicated, but I think it's a really good thing for kids. And then the final thing is coding. I think coding is its own language now, something, again, that – Uh, I'm a little bit old, but uh, it looks like all the young kids understand it. And it's a, it's a language. It's an understanding. And I think with those three things that I can empower and say, Hey, just have an understanding of these things, right? You don't have to master all of them. You don't need to be the greatest gymnast. You don't need to be the number one coder. Just understand how it works. Because I think that Uh, music is an, is a way of perceiving life. Art and music is a way to look through the world is in a, from a very empowering lens. The way that I view the world is from a martial arts lens. And I feel like that is what uh, has allowed me to do all the things that I really wanted to do to really honor myself, to, um, do the stuff that was hard because I had that lens and I feel like music can do that too.
0: That's why I like dance as well, because it brings both of those, the first two into it, uh, You and particularly partner dance, cause it, which brings the other kind of martial arts aspect into it as well. Because I believe that martial arts and dance are basically the same thing, but except with different intentions. Um, and then you've got, when you're dancing, you're moving your body, and then you add music to it. So you're also, you're moving your body, you're moving with someone else's body, and you're attempting to move your body to the music as well. So it's like this, kind of kaleidoscope of uh, beneficial things for the brain.
1: Uh, yeah, 100%. When I was in China, I was training with the Shaolin monks there, uh, 34th generation. They were absolutely amazing. When you watch them do it, it I think I think too, I'm not 100% sure, so I'm going to have to look this up to check, but I heard before like martial arts derive from dance and sometimes when they had to go um, underground, there's uh, capoeira in Brazil, so they hid their martial arts through dance, and it's a similar thing. And and those elements are super important. And when you go to China and you go to those things, it's the movement. Just to do half those moves, how flexible you need to be is absolutely ridiculous. Some of the training is just understanding the body. It's hard training, and you get that absolutely in dance, and it, it's wonderful. It's a great practice. Mm. And so do the one that's more fun for you, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, So when you went to Shaolin Temple, did you actually uh, go to the Shaolin Temple that I see on Google Maps? I don't know. I don't know which one you see. They
1: <laughs> only opened up in I think early two thousands. Mm. And there's several temples. And then the one that I was at, they, so they just opened to wet Westerners. And I think they'd only been open for six, seven years when I went. And then there's a, an additional temple that you need to earn there. So the very traditional teachings. One example, they would do it. They would do it their way. They they wouldn't have any kind of Western influence. So they'd do something called power stretching, and that they would get you into these just different stretches and force you worse so let's say you're doing the full splits you were supposed to go in the full splits then a sifu or a master would come behind you and jam your body down in a very rigid and hard way and people would be crying people would get injured and I told them right away and you had to do it with a translator because they couldn't even speak English and I said he is not doing that to me <laughs> I like I have other things. I know that that is incorrect. I understand that that's the way you do it, and I respect that. However, you are not doing that. He can press down gently, but I am not getting injured because I got other things to do. I'm still on my travels. Yeah. So it was. A, it was. It was a. It, the training there was unbelievable. They're they're absolutely incredible. They train martial arts all day every day. One of the most amazing feats of just human. Uh, potential actualized I've ever seen.
0: Hmm. What part of China did you go to?
1: It was called, uh, Shenzhou Mountains.
0: Oh, Shangzu mountains. That's really cool. Uh, and you went there in the early 2000
1: years and now, 2019. I think it was about eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, and have you trained in other martial arts too?
1: Yeah. Training lots. I grew up doing karate. I was watching Bruce Lee and he was doing Jeet Kune Do. So that was essentially everything I boxed for a bunch of years, did wrestling, did jujitsu. I trained in Thailand at a professional MMA camp because I have one side of me that wants to explore the practical martial arts and make sure that if I need to, I could whoop some butt just for physical protection, not for anything else. And because I like it, I enjoy the competition. I like knowing what my body can do, but really what I'm doing martial arts for is develop the mind, body and spirit. And so when I went to China, you know, Master Go could break uh, friggin' stone with two fingers and he could break bigger pieces over his head, over his knee, over his elbow. And I've never seen one MMA mixed martial arts champion be able to do what I saw him do. And that's what I'm interested in is, is developing those capacities and, and really growing my, my overall ability and my overall understanding of spirit. And that's what martial arts helps me do. It, it helps me understand my body. It understands my mind let 's say we 're just running up the mountains right we 're kicking and punching, and i 've actually been training a lot with a Native American elder as well, and one he 's a martial arts master, an absolutely incredible master actually it 's unbelievable to see, and you know he his thing is like you need to get so tired, and this is exactly what they did in, in China. They would get you so tired you could barely stand, and then you would go through the forms. And the idea with that is that's when you allow spirit to come in. That's how you grow your chi your understanding. That's how you grow your spirit because it's not the mind and it's not the body. The body's toast. Mm-hmm. The body can only last for like, you know, maybe 10, 20 minutes of hard conditioning and then it's done. Right. But they will push you so much farther past that. And, and it's a, it becomes a whole nother thing. And that's why it's really hard to do on an individual level because even if you're pushing yourself as hard as you think you can, there's a whole nother level and Navy SEALs talk about that martial artists talk about that and so putting yourself in those circumstances allows you to see whoa I got way more in the gas tank I'm way more than I thought and it kind of comes from outside of you
0: and it seems like a lot of people in the west identify primarily with their body or their mind uh, and this whole spirit idea doesn't even come into the conversation Uh, and then as I become more identified with less with the body, less with the mind, and more with these other types of things. Um, I feel that I'm becoming more uh, anti-fragile is the word because the spirit itself can't be broken. The body can be broken. The mind can be broken. But if you identify with those things, it's much easier to be broken in that way. But then if you see things from a, or if you embody the spirit or you, Take the spirit perspective, and what I mean when I say that is that all of my thoughts are arising, and this body is arising. But I can also be aware of those things, and if I'm aware of those things, am I those? Am I that thing, or am I that awareness? Um, and that's what I mean by that spirit: is that is that relationship between awareness and spirit, and that thing seems unbroken, undivided, um, and unstruck is the word they use a lot in yoga. It's just this and it, we all share it together. Um, and it reminds me of when you're talking about the, the masters doing their practices, it reminds me of the practice that Wim Hof came from, which is Tumno, which is the a breathing practice of the Tibetan monks who go off into the, um, cold and then, you know, heat things up with their body, practicing these, this, this breathing practice and these visualizations and everything like that. Um, why do you think it is? Why do you think, they train to these levels? Because it doesn't seem in in order to get money or power or anything else. Why do you think they go to these levels of, of training?
1: I think it's to know what we're capable of. If you compare yourself to a Shaolin monk and then you go down to Canada and USA and you look at what people are using their bodies for, we have Tons of obesity. We have, you know, all of this stuff. And, and maybe you, you flash forward 50 years, 100 years or 200 years, and you don't even see that example. And that's why these are ancient practices. These are ancient disciplines. These are ancient practices. And I feel like it's it's honoring this this lineage of understanding of what you are capable of, what you actually are, what you're doing here, what you are a part of, to have a greater understanding of yourself and the universe. And that's kind of a line from Star Teaching's uh, uh, David Lombert Cenefast, but that's kind of what he says. And But he's part of those, that lineage too, you know, the Mi'kmaq culture is 20,000 years old and I feel like that's what they're doing in martial arts. and Same with yoga, right? Same with anybody that has a capability and you look at these amazing ancient practices and what they're able to do, absolutely phenomenal so that's what I think I think it's honoring that ancient practice and understanding and a lot of this stuff I'm going to be hopefully sharing with my daughter and I was on a podcast the other day with my friend Adam Roa and you know I gave the example so I need to word this because people you know, even when I say it, it's like oh it seems bad but you know in martial arts part of it is hard chi qigong right? Which means conditioning the body, overcoming pain and perseverance. So I have my daughter and at a young age, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to hit her hard. I'm going to have a little stick and we'll, we'll start really light, but I'm going to kind of like whack her in the legs a little bit, see how she responds. I don't know how old, right? I'm not going to make her cry or nothing. But the idea is to get her to a point, like as she grows to understand that she can stand in like a little bit of uh, perseverance, we're all going to experience discomfort. And that's what the training shows you. We're going to experience dif- discomfort. We're going to experience challenge. Same with the cold. The cold training sucks. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you don't like it. But when you persevere through that and you understand what you are, you know, and I'll get her to say a mantra, like, I am strong. I stand on my own feet. I am capable, right? It's like, okay, I can handle this perseverance. Not this little wind is going to take me over. And you look at our culture today and what's being, you know, uh, shared. Everyone is so soft. Everyone's so offended. Everybody, you know, this one tiny little thing and they're off their track. You know, we're way stronger than that. And, and failure and challenge is a part of life. And the more that we're able to adapt to that and overcome that and have that internal, mental, spiritual, emotional resolve, the more we're going to be able to achieve in our lives.
0: Mm. this is getting into difficult territory in terms of predictions, but do you think there's going to be a time where we start just needing to be stronger coming up? Hmm. Maybe
1: I feel like that time's already here. Hmm. You look at the, you know, I I use the example, uh, you know, on my podcast, we kind of go down some real big rabbit holes and I like just the thought of experiment. If imagine aliens are like here or they're observing us. And if they looked at us as a humanity, I think we should be embarrassed. If I had to explain and go up and say, uh, so what's the deal with this and all the wars? What's the deal with, uh, you know, this racism here? What's the deal with uh, this, this religious group trying to kill this religious group? What's the deal with, uh, you know, all of the gun violence? What's the deal? You know what I mean? And, and it would just be shit. You'd be like, you guys suck. And I would, And that's how I feel. We suck so hard. And it pisses me off because when I was a kid, I would look at TV and I would see people starving to death. Who is working on solving that right now? Who is, how do we have Je- Jeff Bezos himself? And, and it's not to put the thing that Jeff Bezos should do this. It's not to say that. It's to say that there are people on this planet right now that can single-handedly, handfuls and handfuls of people to make sure that starvation, people just don't die because they have no food on the planet? What is going on here? Why do we still have war? Why is that okay? Why have we not, why have we evolved that we can have, you know, all of the world's knowledge at our fingertips and take a dope selfie while we're at it. And we have not prioritized people surviving, having clean food and water, and also not murdering each other for different beliefs. And so I feel like those are really important issues that need to be addressed. And they also need to be taken seriously and we need really intelligent people with positions of power and influence and not even those people the, the, the day-to-day person to start inquiring about this stuff doing anything they can even talking about it and say hey what can we do because it only takes a small group of dedicated people i think there's a great quote i can't remember uh, who it's by but it um never estimate that a small group of people can change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has If you look at it, it it's such an awesome quote, but that for me is where I get like a sore spot and really jaded because uh, there's so much potential here to just uh, improve the planet and think outside of ourselves. And when you were talking about a little bit before about kind of like the ego and going through life and and, um, having the spirit come in, I feel like if we can just stop thinking about what I can get and what I can give. How can I give? How can I help today? Not in a way that you don't get anything back, help in a way that's inspiring to you because that's what a human being does. That's how all of this whole universe works is in cooperation. And when you think like that, it doesn't matter if you have a monkey mind. It doesn't matter if you have judgment. It doesn't matter if you have all those things. They become in alignment because you're going to have them anyway. All the masters that I've met, all the people that I know, and all the people I'm trying to find, they're saying, Hey, you're going to still have those thoughts. That's okay. Learn not to identify them and be, you know, more kind and compassionate to yourself. These practices like meditation and yoga can probably help with that. And as you move about every single day, do something that might help. And my favorite spiritual teaching that I've ever learned is from my friend, David Lone Bear, who is a native American elder of the Mi'kmaq people. And he says, do three kind acts a day. Go out of your way to do it and resist the urge to tell anyone. And since I've done that for the last couple of years, I used to think I was kind and compassionate and maybe spiritual, if that's a thing. And in action, since knowing that, it's, it's changed my life and how much I've contributed and how I've done because I'm still trying to do what I can to help others. I'm still looking for opportunities to make a difference. And I'm still so confused about so much stuff. I'm still probably so wrong about so much stuff. I still have so much evolution to go. But as I move through that process, when I'm engaging and contributing every single day, just through three kind acts, then I'm in alignment. I feel I can, I can be kind of like confused and engaged in the mystery and curious. How does this work? Who am I? Why is my thoughts so crazy? How do I figure out getting a sandwich right now? I'm hungry. You know, whatever the case may be each, each day, because it's, it's always something new.
0: So the, the teaching is essentially do three things for someone else and don't tell anyone about it.
1: Three kind acts a day. So I, when they first told me, the only thing I could think about was paying it forward. I was like, well, what else can I do? One of them, he says, is get someone's name. And I've traveled within him. I've done that. And just getting someone's name is so wonderful. It's, he's like, that's an act of kindness. When you get your cup of coffee, when you have a server, when you go through and get your groceries, get their name, ask how they're doing. It's a simple human, human to thing. And it makes sense because he comes from a Native American culture, right? They used to sit in circle and very community minded, very connected to nature, all that kind of stuff look at our society now it's more and more and more disconnected more and more and more artificial and less and less we are having real human interactions Hmm. right it's a very interesting thing so just simple principles i feel like are so important and necessary at this time
0: what are some other examples for my listeners of things that they can do that are just kind acts for others
1: yeah, it's a great question. Thank you for asking that. So write a kind note to somebody. friend, uh, if, if you have a beef with somebody, this is a suggestion. If you have if you've had a uh, a fallout with somebody, write them a letter and uh, just let them know that it's done. It's fine. Just let it go and, and say, you know what? uh i'll just accept it what it is apologize if you can if you've wronged someone definitely apologize uh, reach out to anyone friend family when co-worker somebody you haven't reached out forever just send them a kind note you know we could do that we could make a list every week all right these are the seven people this week i'm going to reach out to one that i like doing which i find is hilarious is when i go through the grocery store i'll look who's behind me and i'll try to find if they've got like cookies or something sweet i'll when it gets up to the front i'll say hey can i see that for a second and i'll take it and i'll scan i was like can you scan this for me and they'll scan it and then i'll just go like free ice cream day you know <laughs> and uh, uh it's funny because one time i was in the i was in maine and uh, i was in the states and i and i did this to a guy and he was like a, kind of a tougher looking guy and he's just like hey that's mine you know and he was like upset and i just go I like free chocolate day or something and he just looks at me he's like wait what and i was like that's amazing and he <laughs> was like so upset but then so happy and he's just like i'm gonna use that and uh and so you could pay it forward get someone's coffee picking up a piece of trash is an act of kindness caring for your neighborhood so you know you go into a coffee shop pick up a piece of trash get the person's name at the counter pay it forward for somebody behind you boom you did three kind acts and what i suggest to people and i do it on my podcast all the time is to do three kind acts a day go out of your way to do it and and resist the urge to tell anyone right because if you say oh look at how kind i am you know then obviously it's kind of defeating the purpose. It's not really uh, genuine. If you do that for a week, I, I say take the kindness challenge, do it for a week, you'll probably experience a universal wink. And when we were talking about astral rejection and some of these mystical things, I have been really curious about the mystical things. I have meditated with monks in Nepal trying to do the mystical thing. I trekked Mount Everest looking for the mystical thing. I trained with, I did all the things to find the mystical thing. And I've had the mystical things, and they're really cool, but they're very few and far between if you're searching for them that's not really the point i know that now but i didn't know that when i was younger however doing the three kind of acts a day going out of your way to do it you'll most you're not going to guarantee it but there's a probability that you will experience what i refer to as a universal wink something weird will happen like a synchronicity that's so strong not a random one not oh maybe that would be like whoa that's really weird and huh and it'll just go, that's the right track. Keep being who you are, honor yourself. But as you go throughout the journey, do the three kind acts. Each and every day you have that opportunity. You're gonna still be learning. You're still gonna be growing. But do that in the process as your mind does what it does and hopefully evolves in a more peaceful and content way.
0: Hmm. What is something else you've learned from uh, David Lone Bear?
1: Oh, God. What do you want me to start with that? Do you want like ancient history? You want some mind-blowing stuff? Do you want spiritual stuff? Well, what do you want, man? I I spent uh, last summer with uh, out in Maine all summer uh, learning because I had the opportunity. I was like, yeah, I will take this. And it was very fascinating. I'll just say that.
0: Uh, so something that has had a uh, just like a clear, beneficial impact on your life.
1: I would say the three kind acts would be the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Also what he will speak about is the T's and understanding magic. He taught me magic and not like, um, magic more in the sense of, of high level psychology. And I've studied psychology, hypnosis and things like that, but understanding how this is actually being manipulated in the spiritual space in the quote unquote, uh, you know, yoga, new age, all that. And I see it so prevalently now where I didn't, I didn't see it before and so I'll give you a really quick example. Do you know who Nithyananda is?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So that guy is full of crap. Mm. I don't know if you believe in him, but absolutely full of shit. Um, he uses these three girls and you can look it up, go uh, girls with third eye powers. You look that up on YouTube and there's these three girls with third eye and they're, they're like reading your mind. They're reading the papers that they see. They're being able to see through stuff. I knew from what he told me, cause I looked at them I was like, oh, cool. Cause I want my third eye on. I want to be able to see through stuff. I want all that stuff. And I try to go get it. If somebody tells me I'm going to go through the process and still continue, I think it's probably possible for some. So I, we're, in, we're at the Parliament of World Religions last year at this time in Toronto, the Parliament of World Religions. We see these three girls. They have a huge, shiny booth in the basement. He walks up to them as they passed us, and it's a massive place, so it's surprising that they passed us. He goes, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Stops at three girls and he goes, I want you to guess which hand this coin's in. He takes out a coin, puts it in his hand and goes, which hand is it in? He does like a sleight of hand thing, puts both hands out. He's like, all three, you got to get it right. And so they guess, all three of them guess wrong. There's a whole posse of people behind them. I feel super awkward because I know exactly what's happening. I mean, I should have filmed it. And so he does it again. He goes, okay, uh, which hand's it in? He takes out the coin, does a sleight of hand. They pick all three of them who can have third eye powers, get it wrong again. Third time. Same result except for the one on the right saw him slip it in his pocket this time. The other two who didn't because they were it's hard to do sleight of hand with three people right in front of you, I think he even did it on purpose. Those two got it wrong. The other girl got it right because she saw. The next day we go downstairs and they're set up doing the same magic trick and they have an earpiece. And there's actually several ways that you can get this trick done. Um, and they're telling people to write these things down. And they're like, oh, you can actually get your third eye on. You can do this. You just got to go down to India, pay Nithyananda 10 grand. And that's a, that's a thing. So, I, man, I gotta, I'm going to upload this video as soon as possible. But we stood there and he said, hey, I represent 300,000 Native Americans. I want to ask you a question. Are you deceiving people? And they said, no, but he's like, I can do this trick. He's like, I can do this trick better. And there's another person, Peter Popoff, um, who James Randy exposed. There's a guy and, and these people keep doing it again. Peter Popoff went to jail. Now he's back out doing the exact same thing. Um, Yuri Geller doing the same thing. He's taking a magic trick and saying it's spirituality. And so people are doing this on subtle levels with what they think. Like, let's say, you know, you do my chakra course and I make all these promises mostly it's like, yes, they're correct. And the person kind of believes what they're saying and that's okay, right? They believe that there's gonna be a benefit and there probably is a benefit. There's a challenge when people go a little bit too far with the benefit, right? A little bit, they're not grounded in that space. And uh, you just wanna stay humble. You wanna stay authentic and you wanna stay congruent. And so people are getting a little bit squirrely and a little bit, uh what's the word they just go a little bit further they they should with that wording because what happens is people don't get that result that they hope and then they feel empty right why am i not transformed what why do i feel crap now why am i not you know downloading this you know akashic record and i'm directly connected with buddha or whoever right and if you go down when i meditated with the monks when i trained with the shaolin masters they're so much more evolved than 90% of the teachers I see here. Well, well, 100% of the teachers because that's what they do for their life. And they're way, way more humble. They'll tell you to go punch a tree or something. They'll tell you to just go meditate. They'll tell you that you have the answer. They'll tell you to trust yourself. They'll tell you that it's a process. They'll give you a technique. Try this. This is what I learned. What do you know? Mm-hmm. A very beautiful co-creation.
0: Um. It reminds me of an interview I recently did with this guy who runs a YouTube channel who is taking down uh, financial gurus on YouTube who who all do the similar similar practices, but uh, they invite people to online courses so that they can uh, sell them on, you know, like making money online, which is most of it's bullshit. And so he goes through piece by piece and shows how these guys are doing it. Um, And I've been I've been wanting somebody to do a similar one, but for these other types of gurus, the spiritual gurus because um, uh, it'd be very cool to, to kind of take these people down because they're hurting a lot of people.
1: They're hurting a lot of people, yeah. And, you know, this is a touchy, a touchy subject to go into. However, we'll, there's – how do I – I don't know how to say this nicely. What I'll say is just what I've researched. If you really research religion on this planet, if you're religious, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think that there needs to be a greater understanding of the whole entire picture. Because when I went to the Parliament of World Religions, there are over 200 different religions you could choose from. How do I tell my daughter which one's the right one? What's the right path to God? What I think is that religion can provide community. It can provide ethics. It can provide all kinds of spiritual understandings. It can provide a lot of truth. What's happened, though, is people attach to these teachings and they're willing to kill for it. That's where we need to really assess where did your religion come from? What does it mean? And when I was at the Parliament of World Religions, what I was able to distinguish was some are religions and some are more philosophies. So if you look at like Buddhism, when I was in in Nepal, that was more like a philosophy, a way of life, a way of understanding, principles, ideologies, community, right? When I went to China, it was Buddhism but it was not at all what I had just come from. They had taken it and they transformed it. Religion means to bind. And then they wouldn't talk about religion. They wouldn't talk about beliefs. It was so rigid and scary. And usually they'll give you a consequence, or reward, right? If you are good at this, you will get a reward when you die. If you don't, then you will die. And that's actually how Scientology did it. They basically used the binding principle of religion in and in, combined with modern psychology. Very impressive. And have people super binded in there. And I'm not to say it's right and wrong. Maybe whatever religion you are hearing this, maybe that's the right one. And I'm totally off. But imagine all the people hearing this with different perspectives, 299, right? Mm. And so I think if we all get the whole story and we're open-minded, say, okay, you know what? Like Bruce Lee's example would be like, you know what? You do karate, that's wonderful for you. Right? I want to do karate, but I also learned a little bit from judo, and I'm not going to kill you because I also do judo. That's totally cool if that's your path. And if you get an understanding of spirit in that way, that's beautiful. I, I wish you all of the best in that understanding. We just need a little bit more tolerance and a little bit more understanding because it's still happening today all around the world.
0: So, that, that's a, a beautiful place to, to wrap up. How can people find out more about you and what you're working on?
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show for what you're doing doing 150 episodes that's amazing congratulations everybody listening to this it is a pain in the butt to make a podcast give Stuart a review help him support him if he has patrons go help him it's pain in the butt takes a long time so thanks bro appreciate it if you guys want to learn more about me you can go to mattbellio.com i also have a podcast i have Uh, quite a few episodes. I think that we're very similar in our intentions. We explore things on spirituality, personal development, uh, out there topics, ancient civilizations, Native American culture, all kinds of things. And so what I'd like to leave the listeners with is just remember to believe in yourself. It's cheesy, but just do it anyway. Do your best to be kind to yourself, figure out who you are and what you want to do. And the invitation is to try out those three kind acts a day, because you could be confused. You could be studying yoga um, you know, it's like we always wait for that next step to be complete. We're never complete, right? Oh, I want to do a yoga practice. I'm going to go to India. I'm going to study for four months, right? You do that. You get your yoga certificate. Then you're still, there's, a good, there's always going to be a next. So you're constantly evolving. It's just like when my daughter's 19 and she wants to go to India and do this thing or she wants to get this certification. She's not going to be whole when she's done or before. She's going to be whole the entire time. So we're always whole as we are. Just uh, learn to be content with who you are honor those directions and those impulses and then also realize that you are engaged in the mystery none of us have any idea what's actually going on here we have ideas some people have a little bit more truth than other truth but if we can be open to being kind to our fellow man to be listening and woman uh, listen compassionately do our best that's it and just try to enjoy the ride buckle up cool that website i said that right yeah, yeah there you go. that's it yeah <laughs> yeah man
0: <laughs> Thanks, Matt.
1: Yeah, thank you bro, I appreciate
0: it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be publishing episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the morning. If you did enjoy this episode, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, many of the major podcasting platforms and go ahead and give us a review. And also subscribe. And as always, I'm on Twitter at I-I-I. Come join the conversation as we aim towards the truth
1: and Funny thing about truth is that
0: you can't really put it into words. Because every time you put the truth into words, you create a linear narrative out of something that is non-linear. The truth is non-linear. It's not. It's. it's if you really recognize the truth right now, your mind wouldn't know what to do. It'd be overwhelmed by beauty and pain, or it's. It's something that is beyond our linguistic capability to represent but that doesn't mean that the language isn't helpful the language can point us in the direct right direction but it's it's not it's not the truth itself and so come join this collective inquiry into the truth find me on twitter at Stuart alsop iii uh, subscribe to the podcast share the podcast with your friends uh, most people don't have the ability to let go of this linguistic understanding of the way that the world works and just aim for the truth regardless of what the language tells us. Uh, and so I think what I'm doing with this, this show is is necessary for us because as we enter this stage of uncertainty, uh, and we are most definitely entering an age of uncertainty. And as we do, it's really, really important. That stop paying attention to what the mind is telling us all the time. It doesn't mean to say that the mind doesn't have its place. The mind obviously has its place. But it's just one of the senses. It's just one of the tools that we can use. We can use the mind. We can use the feelings. We can use our actual senses. Uh, we can check our intuition with other people because sometimes the intuition tells us the wrong thing as well. Sometimes the intuition is wrong. So it, we, can't, we can't rely on any one tool to get us there. So come join the show. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I, I, I. Uh, And come join this inquiry for truth.